Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Shout out to Detroit Pistons UK and all the Pistons in the UK. They DM me about the game in France. So Omari, before we talk about tonight's game versus the Raptors, I wanted to shout out them. And also, are you going to that game in France later in the season for the Pistons? No, I'm not going to be in France, unfortunately. Uh, it would have been a good one, but uh, couldn't make it happen this year. But, you know, definitely be watching at home. And, uh, you know, I guess for me, from a beat writing standpoint, it was just be a very rare uh, eight-day eight day gap during the season. But uh, definitely an exciting game for all the Pistons fans in France. One thing I've learned doing this job is that there's Pistons fans all over the world. Like, I have Pistons fans. There's a Turkish Pistons account that I see on Twitter a lot, uh, just – Every country seems to have a pretty strong business base. So uh, I don't I don't think that's the case necessarily for a lot of teams. On the cover of the Grizzlies, I didn't see that. So uh, Pistons fans, get around. Yeah, I was going to say, that's why I wanted to give the shout out because there is a fan base. If you're on Twitter, there's like, like you say, the Turkey one, the UK, Brazil, all over the place. It's it's really, really cool. And we'll talk about it later because whenever we were together this past weekend, we talked about kind of the diversity of the city of Detroit, where people have come from, where people have gone. And, and so it is nice having Pistons fans from all over the place. But tonight, our Pistons did take another loss, this time at the hands of the Toronto Raptors. First, Omari, can you give our listeners an update on the Isaiah Stewart injury? That was kind of the biggest news coming out of this game. Yeah, he left the game toward the end of the second quarter. Uh, pass toward him, kind of stood out of bounds. He chased out of bounds and fell into the uh, protection barrier. Uh, right out of the game, Pistons called it a right foot sprain. And then after the game, Dwayne Casey said that uh, they don't have any updates. You know, per usual, they usually don't have updates right after the game. But he, I guess he kind of jammed his toe. Uh, so it doesn't sound super serious, but he also had a pretty, I mean, it was a very noticeable limp, I would say, as he was walking off of the court. So uh, that's definitely a TBD and uh, just, just poor timing, obviously. I mean, this team's had injury after injury. You just get Alec Burks and Marvin Bagley back and now Cade out and Corey missed uh, Monday's game uh, with uh, some hip soreness, I believe. And now uh, you have uh, Isaiah Stewart. Uh, can't say if he's going to miss any time yet. No, they have two days off. Uh, Wednesday and Tuesday before they played the Lakers and Clippers Thursday and Friday. So uh, maybe those two days will give them some time to get back healthy, but just, just poor timing overall, I think. Yeah, it was really unfortunate. And we'll talk about the new starting lineup in just a second. But I will say I came away pleased whenever I heard it was a toe. I, I assume that is way better than the knee, which it looked like he grabbed his knee. I, you know, I was tweeting with you back and forth and I was really nervous about it based off the way he kind of, 
you know, was holding his leg and walking around. And it, I didn't think the injury even came from actually hitting the stanchion but or the protective barrier, but it did. And so hopefully we'll get more news on that. He'll be able to make the West Coast trip and we'll see him back in the lineup. Before we talk about the new starting lineup, Amari, can you give some perspective? I know you guys asked Dwayne Casey about playing his former team, the Toronto Raptors. What did he say about that? Does he do anything different? Did he coach any different? Did you get any sort of different vibe as you were sitting with him in the media room before the game? No, uh, he was actually asked about it before the game and he said, you know, he doesn't do anything different. He doesn't coach the guys differently leading up to the game and he doesn't give a, a speech or anything. Uh, I think he is, uh, they had one six straight before Monday and they had one, uh, I think his, his first three against the Raptors as well. So uh, overall, he still, I think has a winning record against his former team, but you know, if that Dwayne said, it's just, you know, it's just uh, a coincidence. You know, it's nothing uh, special, nothing fancy going on. No, only he can answer if, you know, it truly is doing any bad blood against his former team. But, uh, you know, we ask him about it pretty much every single time, and every time it's the same answer. He doesn't change anything. Imagine knowing Dwayne Casey, even if there were some certain feelings coming from him, he wouldn't let the public know or the media know. And I could see him not making a big deal with the team, just kind of being a professional about those type of things. We did see a new starting lineup, Amari. You guys were kind of alluding to it on Twitter. And I, I text you, I was getting excited because you could tell that there was a big move. It wasn't something really simple. So Marvin Bagley III actually inserted into the starting lineup for Sadiq Bay. What did you think about that when you first saw that starting lineup come out from Pistons PR? Pistons have talked a lot about uh, playing two bigs together this season. And the main holdup up until this point is just the injuries. Obviously, you don't have Bagley. So um, you, you stagger Isaiah Stewart and Duran. And then, you know, Bagley, he finally came back over the weekend. And uh, you enter this game with uh, three bigs, you know, really only for the uh, second time this season. So uh, just go ahead and... Uh, um, put them back into the starting lineup. Uh, they want to play with size up front. And I'll stick the second unit, you know, not think more so than just the two big lineup. The second unit needed help. And I think just Boyan and, and Sadiq have a similar game. So it just makes sense to kind of break them up and uh, move one of them to the bench just to get the bench an extra score, uh, which Alec Burks, he's been really good. And then Bagley previously kind of gave that unit a little bit of extra work. But I think if you just look at sort of the balance, Isaiah Stewart has been shooting the ball really well, 40% for three, uh, and it's nine games entering tonight. So he could play off of uh, Bagley offensively, and then you have Duran coming off of the bench. So uh, you just look at the spacing issues I think that second unit had, and you kind of alleviate that a little bit by uh, breaking those um, that big man unit of Bagley and Duran, I think, off up and then putting... Uh, Bagley in the first unit. So, still a work in progress. Dwayne said it's something you'll still continue to look at. But uh, he talks about balance a lot. And I think that that was a move just to kind of find balance between those two units. And they did. They started off the game. Bagley and Stu each hit a three. Bagley hit the first one from the top of the key. And then Stu knocked one down as well. I thought the lineup looked really good, Amari. I didn't think there was major spacing concerns with those two on the floor together. I thought the offense flowed pretty well together when sometimes I don't think the offense flows really well in the half court. What did you think about that combination whenever you saw it? And did you guys get a chance to ask Coach Casey about how he felt about it before Stewart obviously went down? I think Dwayne felt pretty good about it. Um, he, he said something I thought was, was interesting before the game, which is uh, when Isaiah Stewart's knocking shots down, uh, he's a power forward and then center in that order, uh, which you know I think kind of continues what they've talked about with Isaiah this whole time in the sense that uh, he's a little undersized for a big, but you know he's got good defensive technique 
defending the perimeter. And if he can hit shots, then there's really nothing stopping him from playing the four full time. I mean, he's you know improved as a screener, a screener in his career. Um, you know, forty percent from three. He was like ten of twenty five. I think in those nine games before uh, Monday night, and. Uh, you just look at their schedule too, just so front loaded with other teams that have two bigs, right? Like you play the Cavs, you play the Hawks twice, you play the Celtics twice, uh, you play the Knicks twice. It kind of shows, I think, what the Pistons want from that. So I thought offensively, they, they actually looked pretty good um, to start the game. Uh, we talk about just sort of the vertical spacing to get with Bagley, and Bagley was, you know, he was okay tonight. I think he's still kind of getting his win back under him, but, um, you know, to, to see Isaiah go two of two from three, you know, I think he missed. I think he finished the, the night two or two from three actually before I, yeah, he, I believe he so. the game. So uh, that's that's what you want. Like I mean, if he hits <laughs> you know two of every five three pointers for the rest of the season, then that is a perfect season, and that entirely justifies this experiment of moving behind the arc. And uh, not a huge sample size, but tonight I thought he did look pretty good playing the four in those in those lineups. Yeah, I thought that lineup looked really good, and I thought it could be a little bit clunky, especially the first time we've seen it started anyway, and I don't even know if those guys played together on Saturday night, Stu and Bagley. They may have spent some minutes together. Do you think the the Pistons would have started the season this way if Bagley was healthy? Because that's what was interesting to me is it only took Bagley's second game of the season coming back from the injury and they already went to it. That kind of tells me, Amari, that this may have been the plan from the beginning of the season if everybody was healthy. The Boyan unit with him and Sadiq next to each other, uh, you know, I still think that that would have been a strong likelihood for the beginning of the season. But I think that is some of that might be hindsight being 2020 uh, just because Bagley got hurt either in that second or third preseason game so we couldn't see that all the way through so there's probably some some missing information uh, that the coaching staff didn't have in that moment but you know I think just with uh, Bagley being out and you kind of see the issues that the second unit had with him out and then you know he comes back and that second unit obviously has very you know, bad spacing with him and Duran together, which, you know, on paper, I think you expect, but they kind of had to roll with it, you know, especially with Hami in that group as well. Um, you know, the coaching staff, I think, kind of had it in their mind that it was a possibility. And, you know, I think that last game gave them all the evidence they needed to just go ahead and break those units up and uh, try something new. So I don't know if that would have been a starting lineup on day one, but, you know, I do think that it was a possibility had Bagley not gotten hurt. So I want to talk about Isaiah Stewart just individually, Omari, because at least from watching on the TV, he seems to be showing even more outward emotion and not in a negative way, but even towards his teammates, like frustration, like, hey, you should have got the rebound or you should have done this. Is that something you've picked up on? You you sit there courtside every game. Is that something you've no- noticed with Isaiah Stewart or maybe am I just seeing it more? I, I feel like he's making a conscious effort to almost be the voice of this team and I feel like kind of the heart and soul of the team. You know, I wonder about the energy tonight whenever he got hurt. It seemed like the team was in a little bit of a funk until the fourth quarter when Jaden Ivey kind of took over. Am I reading a little bit too much into it? Or you think Isaiah Stewart is kind of taking on that role and responsibility with this team? No, I think he is. He knows who he is. He knows he's an emotional leader uh, for this team. I think personality-wise, he's one of the more fiery players on the team. And you know, I think that's part of his growth, you know, for all these young guys really is figuring out um, you know, how they could lead this team. Uh, you know, Killian and Sadiq are not the most vocal guys, they're more so lead by example. And we've talked about Kay, you know, being a pretty natural leader since day one. But, you know, Isaiah, really, I think we've seen him uh, grow more comfortable in this role. 
And, you know, this season, I think it's been just a leap for him overall getting to the line where he's ducking out threes. Uh, his rebounding has been better. But I think vocally as well, he's taking a step forward too. Yeah, I mean, I just think emotional and energy-wise, I feel like he's taken that step forward, like you're saying. Even going back to the the clip where Jay Nivey was going to help some opposing team player up and and Stu grabbed him and pulled him away. He's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. I just, I, I continue to notice those type of things with Isaiah Stewart and just kind of being that guy for his team. Let's get to the actual game. And it was a little bit frustrating because it feels like the Pistons had every chance to win this game, Amari, but... Very poor three-point shooting, somewhat poor from the free throw line, even though they continued to get there a boatload of times, and they had 19 turnovers, a bunch in the first quarter in the first half. If you had to pinpoint one of those things that contributed ultimately to this loss, what do you feel like it was? I would say the free throws, number one, uh, you take 43 free throws and you knock down 31, so that's 12 misses at the line. Uh, I think in a four-point loss, that was a two-point game with about 10 seconds left is uh, especially killer. Uh, Boyan uh, took 10 attempts and he made six. So, you know, uncharacteristic for him to miss four of them. Um, you know, Ivy missed a couple. Yeah, I know it was just like just a, a group effort. Uh, Burks took five and missed two. Uh, Hami missed one. Ivy missed a couple. Uh, but just up and down the roster kind of adds up. And, uh, you know, I think for Toronto uh, to take 15 fewer free throws, and only make four less, uh, you had a huge advantage in that area that, you know, you essentially eliminated because you missed so many of them. Like you, like you miss, like you make two more and you tie the game with two seconds left, that might, you know, make the difference tonight. So I would say, and that's what Dwayne said after the game too, like, you know, free throws were a big reason why, um, you know, the three-point shooting, they were 10 of 31, a little bit under 33%. Uh, Toronto didn't shoot that well either. So, you know, that's a little bit of a wash, but you could always shoot better. Then the other thing for me was the 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 turnovers. So they had nine turnovers just in the first quarter alone, and then they finished with I want to say they finished with nineteen. Nineteen, yeah. Tonight, you know, which is not ideal. So you know, turnover issues have sort of been a problem on and off the season. But tonight, just you can't miss twelve free throws. I think when you have that big of an advantage, you take fifteen more, and if you miss twelve, that's uh, just. You have to take care of those. They didn't do it tonight. So I think it really just is as simple as that. You can turn the ball over. You can miss threes. But you got to take the easy ones and make the easy ones too. Well, and what's frustrating is they earned those trips to the line. The Toronto Raptors were very aggressive tonight, played very hands-on, trapping, all of those things. And the Pistons, you know, for the most part, got a decent whistle. I think at certain times the officials got tired of calling so many fouls on the Raptors, and I think that's what they count on. But we've seen this team consistently put pressure on the lane, put pressure on the rim, get fouls drawn on the other team, and get to the free throw line. And it is just kind of... It's disappointing that that kind of was the crux of them not winning this game. A game, Amari, I feel like they needed to win, not just because the Raptors were shorthanded, because the Pistons were shorthanded as well. Cade was out. Stu eventually was out. Burks and Bagley probably don't have their legs completely back yet. But now they're about to go on a six-game West Coast trip, and those are going to be some really tough wins to get as well. And so I thought this was a big one, just kind of for the morale of the team. And then you end up losing... You kind of have some self-inflicted wounds and Isaiah Stewart goes down with injury. I kind of wonder where the morale is going to be going into L.A. this week. This is tough. I think this is the one you wanted to get. You, know, you have a track record of recent success against Toronto. And you play up down to the wire. And now you play the Clippers and then the Lakers. And the Lakers are one of the teams in the NBA that are just as bad as the, the Pistons. So maybe that's one that you'll be able to get. 
Uh, but then you have, you know, and then you have Sacramento after. So, you know, you have some games that, you know, might be, be toss-ups. But it is tough. Um, you know, this team really can't give up, I guess, any of the games that you may consider 50-50 games. And Toronto's a good team. So, you know, on paper, that's not a 50-50 game. But they played it right down to the wire without Cade. So I guess that's one thing kind of hanging over all of this is they're without their best players. So, you know, maybe you don't expect them to hang around as much as they have. But, you know, you're seeing guys like Ivy step up, like up and down the roster. I think you still have enough talent to win. So that makes these losses feel a little bit different. Um, but from a depth standpoint, you're able to replace some of the production you're losing, but you're still falling up short because of preventable errors. Well, and that's the thing. Like, Kate is out. Stu came out, looked like he was going to have a really good game, and then he gets hurt. Again, Bagley and Burks don't have their legs completely under him yet. And then Boyan Omari probably had the worst game he's had this season in terms of the missed free throws, the missed open threes, and the turnovers from him. So all of those things combined with the team free throws, three-pointers, and turnovers, it just, like, it's, it's almost amazing they were as close as what they were. Like, to me, it speaks to they're competing. They're doing some of the little things that don't always show up in the stat sheet because they lost this game and had a chance right down to the wire to win it. I mean, I think you have to have a certain level of play to be able to stay in these games, you know, despite the mistakes. And um, some of that just is the the death. Uh, Alec Burks, he's had 32 combined points in, in two games. That helps a lot. Like, he hasn't really missed a beat um, despite his seven-month layoff recovering from uh, a vehicular fracture in his left foot, uh, which I'm not going to lie, I didn't know what the, the, the vehicular was before <laughs> Alec Burks joined the team, and I've had to write it a lot in the last six weeks or so. Uh, so a left vehicular fracture uh, that he finally returned from. But again, I think on the other hand, when you are a team that wants to compete and you are um, competing in a lot of these games, you're just falling short and you have not had a full complement of players all the way through, uh, like we saw the two big lineup return tonight and, you know, the previous game. And then Isaiah Stewart gets hurt. So you just have a rotating chair. Like Darius with a couple of games, you've had just a rotating set of chairs for your your front court. There's just been a lot. I think the teams had to juggle pretty early. And there's still a chance that once they get a fully healthy roster, we see them turn around a little bit. But but at the same time, all teams have injuries. Like I know that's something Dwayne will say whenever we bring up the injury bug, that all teams have to do it for these to figure out how to win. Uh, I think it's just there's a difference between a team that already has like two superstars dealing with injuries and a team like the Pistons that doesn't have one and they're trying to get guys to that point dealing with it. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of encouragement through 15 games, but also a lot of understandable frustration as this team is um, still losing a lot more than it's winning thus far. Yes, I say there's a difference, right, with the Pistons who are already limited in terms of just the overall talent. And when they lose their best player, it's a little harder to overcome that than, say, the Celtics whenever they don't have their second best player in Jalen Brown. But Jason Tatum can go drop almost 50 like he did on Saturday night. I also want to say I I don't want to get into the Dwayne Casey conversation again tonight, Omari. My timeline was filled with people and critiquing and all that. I was Dwayne Casey has overtaken Killian Hayes as the most polarizing figure in the Detroit Pistons organization. And I'm sure we'll have to talk about it again eventually. I don't want to go on another rant like we did last week, but it it just continues to kind of surprise me in a game where I didn't think he did anything that crazy. He switched up the lineup like everybody wanted. And this team competed with every against all of the stuff that we've talked about. And again, he just has become so polarizing. I just find it really interesting that it continues to become more and more with Dwayne Casey and this fan base. It's uh, a little funny because when they announced the decision to bring 
Uh, or we tweeted out the decision for them to bring Sadiq Bay off of the bench. I think a lot of people agreed that maybe putting one of him or Boyan on the bench would make sense just, you know, for reasons we've discussed. And then when I tweeted it out, there's a mix of people saying, uh, yeah, this should work. And also, like, fire Dwayne Casey. So it's hard for me to uh, kind of parse through uh, which criticisms kind of take seriously and which ones are just, you know, people overreacting sometimes because anything that could remotely be construed as being controversial is going to incite the fire Dwayne Casey talk. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, they were like, you know, Dwayne Casey, like, look at his record with the Pistons. Like, why is he still a coach? And I'm like, they've been rebuilding the entire time. The year before, <laughs> Trey Weaver started, like, Blake was hurt. Like, like how, like, what coach is going to win under these circumstances, right? Um, you know, and I think there's always things you could do better. Like, I'm not saying Dwayne's perfect, but I'm just saying, I think in the grand scheme, the thing that I think frustrates people most about him, one of the things is that sometimes he can be slow to make overarching adjustments. But I just, for me, it's hard for me to get to that level for a team that just has not had time to win. And I don't think there is any inherent issue with him letting things play out first. He, like, even if it's on paper or something, it's not, it's not going to work out. Give it a chance. Why not? I mean, you know, I think it's fair to say this team's probably not going to make the playoffs this year, so there's not a lot of harm in letting these things play out. I just think it's interesting that they feel like they have to use him as the scapegoat for losing whenever this team is supposed to lose. Like, we don't need a scapegoat for losing because they're, the team's not very good. This team is going to lose. I think what happened this year, Amari, truthfully, is the expectations were way too high from the fan base. And I think last season, the expectations were too high for the fan base, but a lot of people were able to quickly adjust those expectations when the Pistons started out so poorly and were getting blown out of a lot of games. And this year, I don't think that um, recalibration is happening right now where I think we just came in with too high expectations for some of the players individually, for this team as a whole. National media was talking about possible play-in. I don't know that either one of us really saw that unless everything broke the right way. And things haven't broke the right way, Amari. We haven't seen the 10 best players on this team suit up on a given night yet. What was tonight? Game 15? Was this the 15th game of the season? Yeah, this was game 15, yeah. No, I, I don't think the top 10 players, I'm almost positive, have not suited up for a single game. If you gave the best 10-man rotation, or what I think it is, if everybody's healthy, those 10 guys have not suited up on the same night yet this year. So things haven't broke perfect in terms of injuries. The shooting has gone up and down and all over the place. And so I just, I think expectations were too high and we have to recalibrate what our expectations are for this team. And then you could quote unquote judge Dwayne Casey's performance a little more fairly. Yeah, I agree. I think that there was some talk about the playing and this and that and Trey Weaver says they want to compete and, you know, that kind of gets people excited. And, you know, I think a lot of times people make predictions for the Pistons sort of in a vacuum without really looking at the rest of the NBA. Now, we've talked about it. Like, I don't think either of us, either of us have them winning more than, say, 33, 34 games. And uh, I think my prediction was actually 14 for the East just because I look at the East and I'm like, I see 13 teams yeah. you know, at, at least. Those rosters looked better. Are very clearly better. Uh, you know, like, I, I would say there's 13 teams in, in the East. I probably have one proven all-star. And um, even the Orlando Magic, who are right there with the Pistons, I thought could have a, a sneaky good year. Uh, but I did have the Pistons finishing over them. But beyond that, the only teams I thought they had a realistic chance of ever taking were like the Charlotte Hornets, 
And then maybe if the Brooklyn Nets absolutely just collapsed, which they've been on the verge of doing, maybe them. But even teams in the, in the middle, like the Washington Wizards, you know, you saw Bradley Beal and Chris Stops. Um, you look at the Charlotte Hornets, you still have LaMelo, who just came back recently, I believe, and Terry Rozier. They, they've had some injuries, but those teams have talent, uh, proven talent, and I think it's hard to predict the Pistons to do significantly better than the last season when even with an improved roster, there's still so much room for them to make up. I was the same way. With the Wizards and the Knicks, I saw people saying, oh, the Pistons roster is just as good as those teams. I'm like, I respectfully disagree. I just don't see how the Pistons roster is. So we kind of went down this more than I was planning on. We're going to take a short break here. But when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the individual performances or not performances this week. The injury to Cade Cunningham, Jay Nivey and Killing Hayes playing really well and more. All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Smaros, and I'll go, and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. You ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, probably more food. Arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about some individual performances. So let's lead off with one of the rookies, Jaden Ivey. Uh, he scored 20-plus uh, points in back-to-back games. Uh, he had a career-high 26 against the Celtics last Friday, and then I think he scored 13 of his 21 um, in the fourth quarter against the Raptors on Monday. And I think he's finding a little bit of a comfort level. Uh, he wasn't super efficient against the Raptors, but... You know, I think you look at the passing, especially, uh, you know, the eight assists and just the way he's able to weaponize getting downhill and finding the open man. Uh, like, I love the pass he had towards the end of the fourth quarter where he drives and the entire defense collapses and he just delivers a perfect pass to the corner to, you know, Isaiah Livers for three that cuts the deficit to four or three. Uh, yeah, like, it's stuff like that that I think to see him make those types of plays under pressure bodes well uh, for his future development, given that. One of the biggest question marks was, can he be that primary creator? And he's been that through 15 games. Yeah, he had one to Boyan as well that Boyan just simply missed. And I thought he took over the fourth quarter. Early in the fourth, the offense was real stagnant in the half court. And essentially, Coach Casey gave Jaden Ivey the ball and just said, hey, go be a go be a dude. Go be a playmaker. Go be a creator. And he really was able to do that. And I know there's turnovers at times. There's frustration turnovers. On Saturday, you know, whenever I had a chance to be there post-game or post game in the media, you could see his frustration when he walked in the room. Like, this kid, at least he puts it on. Like, he's extremely competitive, and he really hates to lose. He was extremely frustrated, and he took a lot of the onus on himself with the turnovers and areas where he needs to grow. But I think he's been really good, and the passing has been spectacular for him especially for a guy who that wasn't really talked about a lot coming into the league. And you're right. I sat here and said over and over and over, he's not a point guard. He's not a point guard. He's not a point guard. Well, he's been playing as the primary point guard creator the last few games with Kate Cunningham out. And he certainly hasn't looked bad at all. So 
I don't think that that's still what he's going to do on this team. I still think that's Cade, but he can definitely take that load when necessary. He can, and it's good because he his play style lends himself to being ball dominant, I think, very well. Uh, you know, just given that what he does best just requires him to have the ball in his hands. Uh, he didn't shoot the ball super well tonight, but uh, just the way he gets down there, like, again, uh, he gets four or five sets of eyes on him every single time. And um, he's consistently made the right pass. Um, his assistance to turnover ratio hasn't been amazing this season, but I can see him making a pretty big leap as a playmaker in the year two. And I'm also just going to read off his averages after tonight real quick because uh, – you know, people said we were hating on Jaden and Ivy. I disagree. <laughs> I think we were trying to be we, we try to be pragmatic, right? You know, we try not to get you know too excited, not get too high or too low, as they like to say. You know, in in sports, but he's averaging 16 points, five rebounds, and 4.1 assists, and his shooting splits are 44% overall, 34% from three, and 74% at the line, which I think is extremely healthy. You know, he's he's averaging a pretty efficient 16 points right now. He's moving the ball well. So you know, through 15 games, I think he's probably been close to. At least through my eyes, I think this is probably close to the best case scenario, you know, for him, for him this early in his career so far. Yeah, I mean, this is as good as you could imagine, Omari. With even the three point shooting has been solid. I think on Saturday he shot it really well against the Celtics, and you know, there's some games where it looks a little rough, and then other games he comes back, knocks him down. I'll continue to say, and we don't have to talk about it in depth, but the mid range is the the area for me that has to come around for him, the floater or the mid range pull up, whatever it ends up being. But he's done a lot of things much better than I anticipated in terms of changing pace, playing with patience, the. Pass- passing, all of those things. I will say, just so we're completely unbiased and fair here, he's got a lot of room to grow on the defensive end, on and off the ball. He gets beat on the ball. He has some good possessions here and there, but off the ball, getting beat on back doors, missing rotations, the communications with switching or not switching, navigating screens. He has a lot of work to do in that aspect. He is a rookie, and most rookie guards aren't very good, but that's something I'll definitely keep an eye on throughout this season and then obviously going into his second year, third year, and beyond. He has a lot of work to do defensively. Uh, I think guards who were not great defensively in college typically are not great defensively when they come into the NBA, so we kind of knew that that was going to be a growth area for him. Uh, but he has been pretty bad defensively overall. Uh, and he's got the tools to be good. He's, you know, he's a really big guard. He's like 6'5". He's got a, a long wingspan. and Obviously, he's a great athlete. And I do think he, he plays with effort on, you know, I think he can lock in. Like, he's capable of playing with effort on defense, and he's got the offensive to make plays that a lot of guys can't make. So, I would say if he, the current level of passer he is, nah, if he was that level of passer the rest of his career, but he got twice as good on defense, like, that might end up serving him better, I think, in the long run. This is what's exciting, Amari, is he's been this good, and you can see the the obvious areas for him to grow and improve. And those are real like possible ways for him to grow and improve. I did the breakdown with jaw Morant one time and jaw wasn't just like killing people in the mid range in college. Like the mid range numbers weren't that drastically different. And I'm not comparing them as players. Jaw got to the rim way more than Jaden did in college. Jaw's a better passer than Jaden. I get it. I'm not saying that they're the same players. I'm just saying that guys can come into the league and get better 
because Jaw now is what one of the top three floaters, mid range guys in the league. So I'm not saying Jaden Ivey becomes that, but he can definitely improve upon that as he gets better and learns and works on his touch and controls his body. Like there's just so many areas for him to grow, and he's already pretty good. Jaw, that, that was not something he did a lot in college. You know, I would assume at Murray State he was such a, a plus athlete that he probably just didn't have to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, there's no, no reason because he was saying in front of him. Uh, but as a rookie, uh, you know, like even early on, like by December, he had established himself as a pretty good uh, short mid-range shooter. And he went to his floater a little bit. And the Grizzlies wanted him to just because he was he suffered some horrific flaws like in his first 2025 games in the NBA. And they were just I, like, Ivy does the same thing, though. Do, yeah. do you ever get a little I get a little nervous sometimes. You know, just watching, just just as a fan of the game of basketball and wanting to see good players on the floor, I do get a little nervous. He falls on his threes a lot as well. Yeah, I would say the big difference between Ivy and um, Ja is that Ja would go for dunks that, like, no human being should go for because they were just so dangerous so that he would land awkwardly. And Ivy does not quite throw himself into defenders the way that Ja did. So uh, Ivy, I saw some bad flaws, but, like, Jaw had some flaws that was like, I can't believe he didn't destroy his entire knee. Like, it is it is still incredible to three years that Jaw's not had any serious injuries when he was falling. But it was something he had to work on. He had to learn how to get to the short mid-range more and just kind of pick his spots a little bit. Like, you know, like jumping over Kevin Love in the middle of the regular season is going to get you highlights. But, you know, still two points, right? So you probably don't need to risk uh, beheading yourself on the rim, you know, every time you go down. Uh, but I, I I think that's something Ivy can figure out. Like, I don't think he just completely lacks the touch to develop that part of his game. But I think we see a lot that he drives and he just trusts that his athleticism will create something. And sometimes it does. And sometimes he just gets completely stuck and, you know, the, the ball gets stuck and it doesn't go anywhere. And it's a turnover or a block or the possession just kind of fizzles out. So uh, he's kind of playing Russian roulette, I think, every time he drives. Not every time he drives, but a good amount of his drives do not have great outcomes. And I think it's him picking his spots and just learning that. Uh, like I saw like Dwayne right now, like those gaps close up click quick and, you know, defenders know what you're going to do. So you have to be a step ahead of them. So speaking of injuries, Cade Cunningham, I mean, we're almost halfway through the episode and we haven't even talked about the face of the franchise and him not playing the last few games. Is there any sort of update? I know fans are going to ask. I know you sometimes get annoyed with this, Amari. I believe he's for sure out for both L.A. games. So I would be I would guess he doesn't even travel to L.A. with the team. But do we know anything beyond that? The reevaluation? Evaluation day, any of that type of stuff with Cade and the shin splints. Yeah, I mean, all, all we know is that, you know, he had been dealing with some shin soreness. So, uh, you know, they, they think it was bothering up against Boston last week, and that's why he kind of had, uh, what do you shoot, like one for 15 or something? Yeah, he wasn't very 15. good. Yeah. You know, it wasn't good. They're just going to shut him down uh, to just give it a chance to, to heal. And the projected return game for him is next Sunday, uh, November 20th, against the Sacramento Kings. So, They'll monitor him this week and see how he looks, but almost certainly he's going to miss uh, the Clippers and Lakers games in L.A. And he'll get back, uh, you know, sometime around midway through that trip, assuming that the shit does feel better and he doesn't have any setbacks. I did think it was interesting when we sat in on media on Saturday and somebody asked Coach Casey about Cade. He mentioned that this was something maybe that had been bothering him a little bit going back to even the start of the season. And my takeaway from that was like, maybe that explains the inconsistent three-point shooting. You know, whenever you get that far away from the rim, it's hard to get the ball. You need your lower body. You need your legs, every ounce of that energy to get the ball there. And maybe that's why his shot was ending up flat and short at times. If he had been dealing with it, 
this, maybe even if it wasn't all the way to the beginning of the season, but even if it was before the Celtics game for a week or two. You know, this team does need DK as, as, as well. Like, I know that that goes without saying, but, you know, I think for, you know, him to miss time in the season this early when he's trying to get that chemistry going with Jaden, it's just really unfortunate. But I think it's tough to say exactly when um, he started to feel that pain. You know, I think his jumpers looked flat this season, but, you know, some people will say kind of the same as it did last year. Uh, you, know, I, you, know, you know, I think we all have different pro- protractors, so the exact uh, angle of the shots is kind of hard to get down. <laughs> That's a uh, good idea. I'm going to get mine out the next time I'm breaking down his shot. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so yeah, let's get the exact uh, degree of the angle down, you know, so we can really analyze when that shouldn't begin to bother him. But, you know, I don't disagree. I guess I'm just curious... Like I'd, I'd be curious to see, like, if, like when I shoot heels, if he does see his three point shooting increase a little bit, you know, because I know one thing with Cade is that he was a solid outside shooter in high school, but he wasn't like an incredible one, and he did shoot forty percent one year in college. But sometimes players just have, you know, one year, that year. they shoot yeah. well, and you know they just don't replicate it. So, you know, I'm not saying that to say that I think Cade is going to be a career. 30% shooter or whatever he is now. I know he's hovering around that, but, you know, it's possible that he's just had a little bit more work to do in his outside shot than maybe folks expect to come again. If there is a silver lining that has come from the Cade injury, it's we've gotten Killian Hayes in the starting lineup, Amari. And, and honestly, his ascension started before that, but then it continued on. He's played well. He's strung together, what, four or five games now? And, and to me, it's all about the confidence. He's been confident. He's been aggressive. We've seen him stay confident and aggressive in moments and situations we used to not see him. Tonight on Monday night, he had an awful turnover. It was a really, really bad turnover from Killian. He came back the next possession and was super aggressive and and did a little pull-up, mid-range contested jump shot and knocked it down. And I just don't think he ever takes that attempt before this season. So I love his mentality right now. And I also want to say before we get your thoughts on it, it's okay that people were critiquing Killian Hayes before this four or five game stretch. Now, if you're writing him off completely, that's something different. But he was not playing well. He was not being good. This is a different version of Killian we've seen the last four or five games. So it's okay if you were critiquing him before, and then now we've seen a new version of him, and it looks really good, and there's a lot of positivity around it. Yeah, that's what Dwayne was saying last week, where he said we're not competing for a championship, so we can just let Killian get comfortable and you know, like, yeah, he's struggling. Let's ride this out. Like, there's no reason to, you know, sway for his confidence right now. Uh, you know, which, again, like, there are people saying, bring Killian off the bench or, you know, do this or that or whatever. You know, again, I think this franchise in the past has kind of shot itself in the foot, you know, just giving up on young players too early. You know, I remember I went to a Pistons game. This is probably back in 2014 or 15, and they were playing the Wizards. And Wizards still had, you know, prime John Wall. And uh, Pistons had some injuries. I remember Spencer Dinwiddie starting that game. He had, like, 21 points and eight assists. And, just like pretty good. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie was like a standout of Colorado and you know, he had the injury and fell to the second round. And I remember just thinking like this guy might end up being pretty good. You know, they basically got a, you know, first round pick for, you know, nothing. And let's watch him develop. They ended up trading him. And of course, you know, Dinwiddie's good now. Uh, you have Chris Middleton. You just have a lot of guys over the years are in a follow, you know, going back a little bit further who ended up flourishing elsewhere. And that could still end up being killing. I mean, it's been a week, you know, you can't, you know, crown him yet, but, you know, I think just the change in approach from his game, like he's attacking a lot more. Uh, he's playing free, doesn't seem to be second-guessing himself as much. Uh, before Monday, last three games, he has scored double digits each game, and it's not all about scoring for him, but he has to, to score enough to keep the defense honest and just not avoid taking shots. You know, you just can't have situations where you're leading a fast break and 
guys are expected to pass because you have a lane to the rim, right? You know, which we've seen him do, which we've seen him do, um, you know, a few times over the course of the last couple of years. So he's playing a lot better. I know they're happy to see that. Uh, you know, we'll see where he takes it from here. But it, it seems like whatever hump he was dealing with, he's kind of gotten over it now. Well, that was my thing. You know, I had tweeted out, maybe you send him to the G League. Maybe you put him in the starting lineup. Like, I just thought the organization needed to do something to change it up. Like, it seemed like he was in a rut. And what it may have been, Omari, and, and I may be off on my days here, but I feel like the game before he broke out, in the post game, Dwayne Casey had a quote pretty much saying like, hey, we still believe in Killian. He's staying true to the process. He's doing what we want him to do. And to me, that was like a outward, like public support from the head coach of Killian Hayes. And I could be way overthinking this and overreading, but it seemed like Coach Casey stayed supportive of him. And maybe Killian finally felt that and that gave him the boost and the confidence. And maybe he just broke out. Maybe he just finally decided enough is enough. But I just was saying... I felt like there needed to be something that kind of got him to snap out of it just a little bit. And whatever it was, we've seen it at least for four or five games. I'm really interested to watch to see if he just continues with this mindset because that would be huge. He could be a really, really good bench point guard guard that comes in and is valuable in a lot of situations because he's really good defensively on a team that doesn't have very many good defenders. No, I agree. He, You know, the role he plays is a role that, you know, the team needs. And I think... One thing Dwayne Casey's big on that maybe there's some some disagreement there and the right and wrong answer, but he's big on consistency and just allowing guys to understand, you know, what's expected of them and to kind of find a way to succeed within that. And that was his approach with Killian. Uh, You know, he's like, yeah, Killian's struggling. Uh, You know, we're playing him 17 minutes a night and uh, he hasn't been bringing maybe the energy he needs, but we're going to continue to give it to him and we're going to give him a chance to still snap out of it. You know, we're not going to demote him and maybe, you know, mess with his confidence or, well, I say demote, I always say that playing in the G League is not, it's not a demotion, it's a chance to get your confidence back, but uh, they did not have that plan for Killian. You know, well, he was asked about it the other week and he said, clearly, you know, that's not a demotion, but we're not playing that for Killian right now. We're going to continue to give him the opportunity to uh, drive in the role he's in now. And it, it paid off. So I think it just shows that it's tough to predict this stuff. You know, maybe the right approach for one player is not the right approach for another one. But, uh, you know, I think by now they know Killian. You know, they know that, you know, he just has to figure things out. You just got to give him room to figure it out. Uh, you know, don't, don't mess with his confidence. Don't do anything to kind of throw him off. Uh, and it did end up working out. So, you know, again, maybe a different player. You know, you send him to the G League and that's enough for them to do it. You know, I think for this coaching staff, they want Killian to know that we still trust you. We still support you. I mean, are you going to figure it out? Yeah, I mean, you have to know each player and what they're going to respond to and what motivates them and how they can get them to, you know, play their best. And it feels like maybe they finally figured that out a little bit with Killian. We need a much larger sample size. But we're going to go to short break here, Omari. And then whenever we come back, let's talk a little bit about Jalen Duran and the return of Marvin Bagley and Alec Burks. And then I would love for us to dive into a little bit this weekend where I got a chance to go up to Detroit and we spent some time watching Pistons basketball. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. 
We're back here. That's still a couple of guys to discuss before we get into, you know, some of the fun we had this past weekend in Detroit. But uh, let's talk about Jalen Duran a little bit. I think we're 15 games in. And it's kind of clear that I think Duran is who he is, you know, which there's a lot of positive positives with that. And then also um, some negatives as well. But for me, the question for him is almost exclusively, he's been a lone big on the floor when he's played. And that gives him a pretty straightforward road, right? Like you're going to set screens, you're going to roll, you're going to catch lobs, you're going to block shots, and you're going to try not to foul. And you know, I think for the most part, he's done a pretty good job of those things. And now he's playing alongside Bagley, or he's playing alongside Stewart. And even with Isaiah taking those threes, I think that there's probably less space, you know, in the paint for Durant to do some of the things he's used to. And, uh, you know, I think it's been a little bit of an adjustment for him. I think he had 11 rebounds the other night, but a little bit more of a quiet night against the Raptors on Monday. And, you know, I think I think at the, we're at the point now with Jalen where we know where he's at, but, you know, there's some things he needs to tighten up, I think, to really, uh, you know, justify the minutes he's playing on some nights. I think, you know, they just have not been able to maybe hold him accountable for some little mistake just because they haven't had death and probably won't have it for a little bit longer now. Yeah, I'm just interested to see the progression, Amari. And we've talked about this. And, you know, again, I talked about sending him to the G League to get some of these reps. And maybe that wasn't the right answer. But he's only got three field goal attempts in the last three games. He's taken one field goal in each of the last three games. Yeah, he's rebounding his butt off. He protects the the rim, even though he does make mistakes still and drop coverage and some of the scheme stuff. But you can feel his presence. There's no denying that you can feel his presence. And this isn't me wavering at all on how high I am on Jalen Duran and his overall upside. I just hate the fact that this guy you selected in the lottery is only getting one field goal attempt a night over the last three games and the minutes that he's getting. I don't know how they make him more a part of the offense or get him more usage. I'm not saying he needs 10 field goal attempts, Amari, but he's got to get more touches than that, in my opinion. I I would like to see that, and maybe it's on Jalen. Maybe he's got to do something different. I just feel like he needs more than that. All we saw on Monday night was the one Jaden Ivey dump off and the dunk, and it was really pretty, but I want to see more of his offensive game and we just haven't really got to see that the last few games does it does that concern you at all or is it just like hey he's the youngest player in the league just let him do what he does well for right now i'm not concerned about it i think right okay. now it's just you know let, like letting him get get comfortable and letting him thrive in his role uh you know i think offensively you know maybe catching bobs and putbacks and whatnot's probably what he's best at right now and he's kind of showing flashes of being able to knock down turn around jumpers or you know like a post look here and there or um, you know, make some short road passes. But, you know, I think they're going to ease him in slowly and they don't necessarily want to overwhelm him yet. I mean, he's 18 years old and he's got a lot of development ahead of him. It wouldn't shock me if as the year goes on, we begin to see a little bit more of that. But, you know, obviously tonight was probably one of the quietest nights he's had to play 19 minutes and uh, really only score one bucket and then six rebounds as well. But he's been for sure the best offensive reminder on this team and maybe arguably the best overall reminder as well. Uh, so a little bit more of a quiet night, but I think long-term that doesn't, it doesn't concern me too much. You know, I think him being 18 years old, you kind of get a lot of leeway as far as um, how much you can put on this plate right now. 
So the last two guys, the return of Alec Burks and Marvin Bagley III, I just thought we should speak on what that means for the team in general, kind of the things those guys are going to bring. We've seen instant offense from Alec Burks. I think he had like, what, 15 points in 16 minutes tonight or something like that. Had some really good scoring on Friday night against the New York Knicks. And then Bagley, we know what he did last season. Kind of doesn't quite bring the same thing yet. We haven't seen some of the lobs and those things. But I think these two guys are two of the 10 best players we obviously saw Bagley go into the starting lineup. Burks really helps with the spacing concerns in the second unit that you talked about at the beginning of the episode. I think these two guys really help the overall rotation. And, you know, as Dwayne Casey talked about, balancing out of those rotations. Yeah, they're two proven bucket getters uh, for Burks to score 32 points in his first two games. And, uh, you know, tonight it just seemed like he couldn't miss. He scored 15 points on like seven shots or something like that. Uh, he even played a little point guard, which he did at New York a lot last season with, you know, Cade and Corey Joseph being out. Uh, so like you said, these are two of the top, you know, 10 guys on the team, uh, arguably, you know, two of the top eight guys on the team, even maybe if you really go through the whole roster, like these are two really important rotation pieces, two guys who are thoroughly proven NBA scorers and uh, they don't do everything. But I think you, I think we've seen a big difference in the second unit you know, these past few games just with them coming back and just the lift that they've given that group, which was just being asked to do way too much, I think, early on. And what's interesting is that after the game, Alex said he doesn't even feel like he's remotely himself right now. And uh, Dwayne even said in the locker room, not in the locker room, but in his press conference after that, uh, he's still sort of getting his conditioning back because he missed seven months with the navicular fracture. Because you just love saying navicular <laughs> fracture. <laughs> I do. I guess I never, I never seen that word in my life until like six months ago or six weeks ago. So I'm uh, getting my mileage out of it now before it has to disappear from my vocabulary again. <laughs> uh, but it helps a lot. It helps a lot. And I think just talking about death as a whole, you need guys like that who can kind of keep the boat afloat, you know, while the main guys per se are on the bench. Okay, so let's say this team is completely healthy, Omari, and the, the starting lineup is Cade, Ivy, Boyan, Stu, and Bagley. Is the second unit, because it, it seems like with everybody healthy, they're going to play 10 guys. I don't think Casey's going to play nine. Is it Hayes, Burks, Bay, Livers, and Duran? Or do you think Hami still gets some minutes? Kojo gets some minutes? Doesn't look like Nerlens Noel is anything more than an emergency guy. So is it that second unit of Hayes, Burks, Bay, Livers, and Duran, in your opinion? I think that's the second unit. I see. I think we see Corey. Corey was already kind of being flexed up before Kate got hurt. And yeah. then, you know, Hami as well. I just don't see how you have Hami and Burks in the rotation at the same time. You know, especially when, you know, Burks obviously is an above average shooter and, and Hami's not. You know, I think Burks will give you something you really need. So uh, on, on paper, yeah, that's the second unit. I think, you know, fits together really, really well. And you still have Hami as an energy guy in case, you know, livers or, uh, you know, Burks, if somebody gets some foul sugar or whatnot, so you still have a death piece there. But I think those five probably make the most sense. Let's talk about the weekend, man. We got 10 minutes here or so. So if you guys, if you're not here for the personal conversations or whatever, then thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week where we'll talk all things. But I did get a chance to go to Detroit this weekend. And let's just start on Friday, Omari. One, it was freaking beautiful in Detroit whenever I got there. And I do want to say it snowed on me on my drive to Denver. And then it ended up snowing in Detroit the next day. And then it snowed back in Kansas on Monday whenever I got back. So I was just taking the snow wherever I went. But you and I, for the first time, got to watch a game together um, there at a, a local sports bar. And uh, I feel like we were two completely different people as we were watching the game. 
Yeah, you got to see what my game day experience is like <laughs> where I'm half watching the game and half, uh, you know, trying to find my instant, you know, gamer at the buzzer, uh, which uh, I can't even say how many instant gamers I've written, like, you know, one for every NBA game since I started covering for the free press. You know, when I covered Robert Morris basketball for Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, you know, I did instant gamers at the buzzer and then all through college, you know, as well for basketball, football, you know, volleyball, whatever. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a skill to it, but, you know, obviously you're watching the game and you're, you know, invested in it and I'm looking at what happens <laughs> and I'm looking at my laptop, trying to take notes and type and whatnot. So uh, very much in work mode. It was not the typical experience you get watching a basketball game at the bar, uh, you know, because I was not saying many words, you know, for long stretches of time. But, you know, but it was fun, you know, to get you, you know, in and then to hang out downtown a little bit, you know, with that game. And then uh, we got you back to the LCA Saturday as well. And hours before that, uh, you know, shout out to our, you know, our man at the free press photographer, David, uh, you know, who took some photos of it, of us that we will use for promotional purposes on social media. What those promo purposes will be, I'm not sure yet, but I'm sure we will find opportunities to do it. And he made us look good. So excited for the readers to you know, see our beautiful faces and give us, you know, give us some feedback. How cold was the photo shoot? It was freezing. I was shivering the entire time. Like that was the first truly cold day of the fall because it had just been weirdly in the fifties and sixties. Uh, you know, almost the entire time, except for one random cold week in like September, October. But it had been really warm. Uh, it was warm, you know, when you got in, and then just promptly became winter. And I checked the weather for the next ten days, and it's not going to get above like the forty degrees for like the next two weeks and arguably probably not till March at this point. So I'm going to blame you for that. Like it was good up until you came in. So I'm just, I'm just blaming you, but it's all right. It's all right. That's how it goes. It, it must've been, but yeah, man, David had us going all over Detroit. I, I don't know. Were we downtown? Would you call it downtown? Were we still downtown while we were? Yeah, we were downtown. We started off at the free press office and then we walked over to campus marshes and then we walked over, we walked down Woodward a little bit, uh, you know, went to the fist, uh, went to, uh, the spirit of, of Detroit. I uh, got some photos with the Renaissance Center in the background. So hit some of the landmarks. So um, a lot of Detroit flavor. We walked past the uh, sort of the awning. I don't know what it's called, but for the Lions draft in 2024, the, draft, the countdown yeah. clock. We were over there. So all the all the all the major landmarks in downtown Detroit right now. We pretty much took photos with. But I was just standing there and you're like shivering the whole time. Like we're supposed to be posing for these pictures. I was like, man, Omari, like you got to stop shivering, man. It's making me. And then I look over and Omari's got a little tear. And I think, you know, he's getting emotional. And uh, it was just the the cold weather was making his eyes water. Yeah, I have my jacket and we had our Pistons Post Cities on. So I'm taking my jacket off so we could see uh, the logo. I was hoping I could keep the jacket on and people see you're wearing a black hoodie with the logo visible because you weren't wearing a jacket. And I'm wearing a black hoodie with the logo covered. People would assume. Well, Mario's wearing a hoodie, too, so he could just, uh, you know, leave the jacket on and not shiver. But we had to represent the brand. So, uh, yeah, very, very cold. But uh, we had actually wanted to take the photos last time you were here back in uh, March, and it just didn't work out. So, uh, you know, I think, I, like, David, again, like, you know, shout out to your commitment and, and, and your passion because he probably took about 500 total photos over the course of an hour. So. Yo, I, I'm in trouble at home for real because I told Randy that I was at the photo shoot for an hour and 45 minutes and I'm getting cooked now because I refuse to go do family pictures like I was telling you about. So I was, th- th- this has not ended up a positive thing for me and my household. I am in the doghouse because I spent 
an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes doing a photo shoot and took smiled and whatever for 600 pictures and then don't want to do it for the family. So I, I owe my wife a lot after doing that for the free press. And I will say, I feel like they need to get some of those hoodies in distribution because people are going to see those pictures. And I feel like some of the fans are going to want those Piston Pulse hoodies. Yeah, we've got to figure something out because, you know, merch sales and, you know, I feel like our brand has grown enough now to where we could definitely sell a few. So maybe one day, you know, I've, I've never sold anything in my life. So, you know, maybe we have to I have to do some research and how that kind of works. Like I know that there's websites to pretty much take care of all that for you. That's not my expertise, but we'll definitely like to make it happen at some point. Yeah, I'm sure you can YouTube it or something like that. And then I got to go to the game on Saturday. They got me credentialed. And man, that is just always such a blast to be able to do that. Sit in the media room with you guys. Um, the best food of any media. I finally get it tested against something because on next Tuesday, not today, if you're listening on the 15th, but on the 22nd, I'm going to meet you guys up in Denver, got credentialed for the Pistons at Nuggets. So I'm finally going to get a media room to compare the food because you always tell me that Detroit has the best media room food, hands down, of any place in the uh, association. They do. That's funny. So, um, you know, I still know J.B. Bickerstaff because he was the Grizzlies coach, uh, the first Grizzlies coach when I was covering the Grizzlies and they hired the current coach uh, after my first year there. But uh, whenever I see JB, I always talk to him. And he came to the media room before that Cavs game the other week and he got over the plate and got some food. And, uh, you know, I was, and he looked at me and he was just like, this is the only media room I come to you on the road like for, <laughs> for the food. So there you go. When you have NBA coaches going to the media room and that's the only media room they go to because it's the only media meal worth eating. I think that says a lot. Uh, I don't know... If I'm trying to think about Denver, do they have a media store? I do think they serve media food there, and I think it's pretty good. Like, I'm, So not every team has a media room with food in it? No. So some teams uh, will just give you a voucher, and you can use that voucher to just get a meal from the concourse. Um, which which voucher would we just – okay, so like the Washington Wizards, um, they used to have a media meal, I believe, before covid and a few teams stopped doing their meals after COVID. And they now, uh, you buy a voucher, a media voucher, and it's got like a certain amount, you buy it for a certain amount of money, and the money on the voucher is more than what you pay for it. So you can just get a bill from the Congress and do it that way. So I actually like that better because most of the media meals I kind of skip anyway. And they just go to the Congress because it's like, I know I could get a pretty good name brand something from the Congress instead of rolling the dice on like the, um, you know, whatever the specially prepared meal is. But Denver, I think they have a medium bill, so we can definitely compare that when you can give us your review after. Yeah, I mean, D Detroit's is good. I, I have a really hard struggle because I don't want to waste time going there and eat because I want to sit down on the court and watch the warm-ups. And like, that's the highlight of my night because I get to sit right there on the court and watch the players go through the warm-ups. And the coolest thing happened, Omari. I'm sitting there. I think you were actually still in there eating. And John Beeline just like starts looking at me from across the court. And he walks over and it's just me and James sitting there. And I'm like, I feel like he's staring at James, but... I think he's staring at me and he just kept like he goes I think I know you and I stood up and I said no sir I don't think you do but let me introduce myself so I introduced myself and then James he was a real one he goes yeah John he played division one basketball and so I told him my coach's name and I don't know it's kind of the highlight of the, other than hanging out with you of course it was kind of the highlight of my weekend getting to sit there and talk hoops with John Beeline for three four five minutes during the pregame 
If you want to rank talking to Beeline ahead of me, I'm not going to be offended. Well, I would be offended because he was the former Michigan coach, but I won't be offended <laughs> as a, you know, to John Beeline situation. But, you know, obviously I prefer, you know, it's all right. It's cool. No, John's great. John's great. He always talks to the media a lot. Um, you know, definitely um, one of the friendliest guys you'll talk to. Uh, obviously a legend. Um, you know, just everything he did at, at Michigan is awesome, and uh, he's been a really huge asset for the Pistons. So, yeah, you know, he always mostly's over and talks to us a lot. And maybe he recruited you or like we lost one of your games at some point and you just That's what away. somebody said. It was like, did he re-? I was like, no, I was not good enough for John V line to recruit me. So like I felt super special because I was like, maybe I just look like a hooper still, even at my age and I've gone bald and everything like that. Maybe he just thought I look like a, a player or something. But um, I forgot, like, he's an investor in Cerebro. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's like the new, it's like they're trying to over, not overtake, but compete with Synergy. It's kind of these metrics or whatever. So if I see him again, I want to make sure I I talk to him about that because it's something I get to use. Um, And then I want to tell the other story. So we go to the media, I believe Jaden and and Coach Casey spoke, and then you guys usually get to go to the locker room. Well, I, I don't, I'm not the right tier of clearance to go into the locker room. But as I'm walking back to the media room, Rodney Magruder is walking down the hallway as well. And so I stop and I actually am friends with somebody that Rodney's friends with because he went to K-State and he actually used to like come back to Lake in Kansas where I live for Thanksgiving and stuff with this guy. So I throw out the guy's name and Rodney's like, how do you know him? I was like, man, I live in the same town in Lakin. And Rodney was just like, that's great. So I got to talk to, long story short, I got to talk to Rodney Magruder for a few minutes walking down the hallway as well. So um, it, it was a pretty cool experience always, but those two interactions just was kind of icing on the cake. Yeah, Rodney's great as well. Uh, you know, we always talk about just what Rodney brings to this team. It's yeah. just a veteran. And then, you know, you talk to him and I think it kind of becomes, you know, clear why he just fits the team so well, why he's been so helpful to the guys on the team. So uh, yeah, I mean, you you got to live the media experience again. You'll do it again uh, next next Tuesday when we're in Denver, and uh, yeah, it's awesome, man. Like it's a you know it's a fun team to cover. A lot of good good, good dudes. So really happy you got a chance to come out. You're only in Detroit for like 36 hours. It's such a quick trip, but you got a little bit of a, a a taste of what it's like. Yeah, whenever I come back in April, Randy's coming with me. We're gonna stay out there for you know a handful of days, see two games, get to really hang out and spend some time. And 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 another cool part of Mari was I got to meet Kirk Crawford, who oh, yeah. we'll shout out in just a second. We got to hang out after the game for a little while, met him in person. And then the craziest thing is, your sports editor you've only met in person what like two or three times? Yeah, I think that was only like the second time I had met him, uh, which is. Which is crazy, obviously, you know, giving up at the free press for like two and a half years. Um, you know, they're trying to get, you know, the head respect the office a little bit more. So Kirk was, you know, downtown at the office and we were at the game not too far away. So he decided to join us after and, uh, you know, great guy. And I'm going to shout him out shortly when I close this pod out. But glad we all got to get together and hopefully I get to see my my own bosses a little bit more often, you know, soon now that we're finally trying to get post-COVID here a little bit. Yeah, I mean, whenever he said that, I was like, you guys are joking, right? And then I was like, no, this is legit. So, but hey, next week we'll have a great episode for you guys. I'll be in Denver on Monday night with Omari. So we're going to record one together in person, drop that first thing for you on Tuesday. And then I'll get to experience that game um, in Denver against the Nuggets on Tuesday night. Omari, it was a great weekend. I appreciate so much for everything, driving me around, taking me to different places. You're You're a real one for it, but take it away right here. Hey, man, you're a real one for making the trip to Detroit uh, for the second time this year. And you have 
another trip in April, and then we'll see each other in Denver next week. So um, definitely we'll have a lot to talk about uh, during our next episode. So thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. Uh, big thanks to our editor, um, you know, Kirkland Crawford, who you know, I finally met for the second time not two days ago. Um, you know, our executive producer, Antoinette Delgado, our um, audio producers, Robin, who's staying up late Monday night, uh, you know, to uh, handle editing for us. Big thanks. The last Monday night game for a while. So we'll shout out to for a couple months here. And a shout out to West Davenport. Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.